Sandy, hey, we're going to let everybody know. <laughs> I think Sandy, in his own mind, thought he was going to be that guy. I think you guys probably thought the same. Uh, we've kind of thought the same, but wanted to let it play out, make sure there wasn't anything going on. Uh, it was just kind of the, got to that point where it's like, you know, no reason to hold, hold any, any kind of news like that, that, you know, we kind of made that decision. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. Now also a weekly segment on Slam Radio's Miami Herald Sports Hour on Sirius XM. I'm Jordan McPherson, joined once again by Andre Fernandez. How are you doing, Dre? Hanging in there, man. Enjoying the March Madness while uh, covering baseball with you. I mean, are, are, are any is Oral Roberts going to win the national title? Well, I mean, they beat the mighty Florida Gators. I'm sorry, I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> But, mighty. No, but I mean, Oral Roberts has been doing great. Uh, you can't fight. You can't count out the the mighty sister jeans. I mean, Loyola Loyola has been doing fantastic out there. Yeah, Loyola. You know what? And I told I told my wife this while I was watching the game the other day. I think Loyola is taking those first steps like Gonzaga did. Remember when they were like when Gonzaga was still the underdog that would beat it. You know, they show up every year in the tournament. They get to like the Sweet Sixteen. They were always like a 10, 12 seed. Then a few years later, it's like, no, okay, Gonzaga's good enough to be like a 6-7. Then they were good enough to be like a 3-4. And then finally, now they're this monster team that, we're, that everybody's penciling in to win it all. But Loyola could be that next Gonzaga program that that does this for consistently for a few years and becomes, you know, the next Cinderella team that turns into a juggernaut. You never know. Yeah, and speaking of anyway. Cinderella team that hopes to be a juggernaut, <laughs> that kind of transitions into that team that we've been covering for – the entire time of this podcast and beyond that with the Marlins. Yeah. Uh, we're a week. We have one week left of spring training opening day. We're inside 10 days from opening day. And there's still a lot of unknown left with the Marlins as we get into these final days. Uh, we'll get into those unknowns in a second, but let's start off with the news that we knew was going to be inevitable, but they finally decide to make it official. Good old Sandy Alcantara is the Miami Marlins opening day starter for April 1st. He'll go up against Tyler Glass now, second consecutive year as the opening day starter. Dre, just your thoughts on the Sandman taking on the role that we all knew he was going to be taking on. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was obvious, so I think, from the beginning. And, and like Mattingly said, they just wanted to... I mean, it's also, you know how it is. They want, they want to make sure they want to, you know, make sure there's no injuries or anything happens before opening day, but you knew it was going to be Sandy. I mean, he's their workhorse. I mean, he's already pitched close to 200 innings before he's, you know, got, if you look at him, it's not just the velo, but like everything that he's been able to do to refine his pitches. I mean, this is a true four pitch guy now that you can put out there. And it's funny because that term gets thrown around a lot. You see it a lot on scouting reports, like, oh, this guy has, you know, a great fastball coupled with the slider, the curve, the change, all that. But is he throwing those pitches with, in a, you know, are they quality pitches? Are they plus pitches? They're getting to the point, it's getting to the point with Sandy where those are all quality pitches now. And that mix and then his experience now and the way he's been able to use them and sequence them and everything, like he's starting to look like a true starting pitcher that can last for a few years in this league. And I think that, that's the one guy in that rotation that you really point to and say, okay, he looks like a, like a long-term piece. And that he looks like a guy that can be 
that type of frontline pitcher in, in your rotation. I mean, obviously you got all the talent coming in behind them, six, those of the world and such, but it's no surprise that he is spearheading it right now and they're going to ride him as far as the pitching goes this season. And you mentioned just his pitch mix. And when we were talking just behind the scenes a few weeks ago, when we, before we got Mel Stoudemire Jr., it was talking about just the go-to pitch for guys. I mean, obviously Sixto has the change up, which – they feel like is his best pitch, even with the fastball. Uh, yeah. Braxton Garrett has his curveball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor and has the slider. Trevor, exactly. has, yeah, Trevor exactly. has the slider, and we were trying to think of if we had to pinpoint one pitch from Sandy, which would it be? And we really couldn't. It was just to the point where it's like we see every pitch he has from the four scene to the sinker to the slider yeah. to the changeup, and even the curveball when he throws it to lefties. It's he yeah. finds a way to throw them all well but not to the point where you have to say, okay, you have to watch out for this specific pitch. And right. that really, I feel like, separates him more from the rest of the guys. And, and it's good. It disguises that from hitters, too. So you don't, like, you know, you don't kind of zone in on one particular offering. But I, I always looked at the sinker with him as a quality one that would kind of, you know, determine his success. But the fact that he's raised the level of each of his other pitches is huge because now – Again, he could be harder to figure out, on, you know, for hitters out there, keeps guys off balance better. And the and the usage of it, like if he's in a jam, if he's behind an account, he can go to more than just one and pull himself out of situations. And as we know, he's the he's the lord of the double play. So, we, you know, he could get he, he's great at getting those to get out of jams and he's going to continue to be this season. Yeah, and uh, like I said, we talked with Mel Salamire Jr. a couple weeks ago before the decision was actually made, and he was asked specifically about where he's seen growth from Sandy, and he said that Sandy, from the mental side, was just the term that's been used for the last year and a half now, him being more aggressive and him hunting the strike zone more and finding, uh, to use the phrase, he wants to know what his first pitch strike, strike count is the next day after he throws an outing, uh, Mel talked for a couple minutes and just praised Sandy. I'm going to let him explain what he's seen from Sandy since he got, got here a few years ago. Yeah, you know, I think we've all looked at Sandy and, and has seen the really good stuff and to where maybe the performance hasn't matched that stuff. And I, I know I made uh, – you know, when I first laid my eyes on him, made the bold statement and talking about guys' stuff and getting them to a point to where it becomes usable. So if you look at what he did last year, we, we upped his percentage of his sinkers and tried to get him to believe in his sinker and get it in the zone, his willingness to get head and counts. So... You know, that, that, that conversation, you know, it never went away in with between Sandy and I, and just trying to get him to, to believe in that. But I remember the, the last game that he pitched, I think it was in Philadelphia two years ago where he threw 70 something sinkers. He went deep in the game in and out of bats and I played that game for him over and over and over again in the off season in hoping that he could buy into that. And his walks went down last year. 
the same stuff. Walks went down. Strikeouts went up. Pitches per inning went down. You know, he got deep in games. There was a lot of games that he probably still had some bullets left that we could have left him out there and maybe he had a chance to, to start and finish games and put himself in a position by uh, being willing to attack the strike zone and, and believe in that sinker. So really, we, we kind of keep things simple with him. And when I had Max Scherzer, all Max focused on was getting first pitch strikes. And it's something that Sandy and I uh, have talked about, and he wants to know, you know, the next day what his first pitch strikes were. So pay attention to that. That's something that he's focused on. And, uh, you know, getting guys in the swing mode so they could swing at his other stuff, not painting himself into bad corners and always working deep counts, trying to get back into account. So I'm hope he's over, overcoming some of that stuff. This spring, you know, it, it's I watched his previous springs. He's in a lot better spot with himself and really knowing where he needs to go when he gets sidetracked, and they all get sidetracked. And now, here are Marlins manager Don Mattingly and pitcher Sandy Alcantara giving their perspectives on where Alcantara has grown the most over the past two-plus years. Yeah, I think, you know, when he, when he first came over, he was just didn't really have his routines and his work, and we've kind of pushed him to do all phases of, of what a, a starting frontline pitcher looks like from his work in between outings, his, his, you know, with his bullpens, his physical work as far as training, uh, lifting, uh, his study work, and just kind of developing that where he, you know, knows what he wants to do with guys. So he's kind of just over those, these last couple of years, just kind of kept growing and kept getting better. And Sandy doesn't have to say a word. Uh, his work stands for itself, and that's really what you love about it, that uh, he just kind of wants to be good, wants to be great, and he keeps, you know, taking the steps to be great. And that's what's so so impressive about Sandy. Pretty good. You know, I think, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready for opening day, you know. The only thing that I worry is – be healthy, you know, and I think I am. And then to follow up with that, this first time we're talking to you since it was announced that you're the opening day starter, just what was your reaction to it to be able to get the ball, be the first guy to get the ball two years in a row? Um, you know, another great opportunity, you know, another great opportunity. You know, it was opening day last year, you know, and I feel really blessed, you know, like being this year again, you know, like, go outside, you know, like represent my country, my family, my team, you know, and I was waiting for that. You know, I was waiting. It's mean a lot, you know, it's mean a lot, you know, like be like first guy every time, you know, that's what, I, that's what I looking for, you know, like being a leader, you know, because they have like a lot of young guys coming up, you know, and they want me to, to like show them the way that we've been doing here. You know, and I'm trying to do that. And obviously, Sandy will lead the rotation. Pablo Lopez is going to be the number two, which is well-deserved considering what he did last year in stepping up when 
Sandy and Caleb Smith and Jose Urania went down with COVID and became that de facto ace for a month of a 60-game season. The rest of the rotation, we're still trying to figure out exactly how things are going to pan out. Eliezer Hernandez is going to be in there. I would be yeah. shocked if Trevor Rogers is not in there after the way he's performed the last two, his last two times out. And then it brings us to Sixto Sanchez, who, when healthy and when ready, he's at a minimum the number three on this staff. But he's still in that workup phase. Saturday was his second time out. He only threw three innings. Granted, it was three perfect innings, 32 pitches to retire all nine batters he faced. But the Marlins are being cautious with him, and understandably so. Yeah. I, I, look, again, don't hold me to this because obviously things could change, but I still don't see him coming in that first turn. I really don't. I, I think it's going to be a buildup a little bit with him. Maybe the second turn. I mean, again, they have. we talked about it. They have that, that flexibility in the schedule at the beginning where they can maybe skip a spot and and then bring him in maybe on the third go around and have him fully built up. And that's still a possibility, but I'd still be surprised if on that first go around, he's there because of the fact that we're cutting this kind of close with him as far as where they want him to be. I mean, it could happen. You never know. And if he does even better. I mean, then you'd have a solid starting five. I mean, what Eliezer did, I know it was a scrimmage that we saw the other day when you and me were there, but it was impressive. I mean, he, Eliezer was pitching to, you know, up in the zone, down the zone. He was pitching to both sides, like with effectiveness, everything was working well. It looked good, even though it was a, you know, like we said, it was a scrimmage, but still you could see that this guy is ready for opening day and he'd be perfect right in the middle spot right there of that, of that five-man group. And then, you know, you look at Trevor and this is the, this is the growth that he showed last year when he earned the call up ahead of others you know, with the way the slider's working, with the way he's been able to to you know, to keep guys off balance, same thing, working the zone well. So it's a solid five once it's at full strength. I mean, really. And even Nick Neidert, if Nick Neidert gets the tab for a minute, like gets in there for the first couple of turns and maybe he pitches well and maybe, you know, creates a little bit of a of a tough call for them to make, That, that again, that's just more depth. And that's what we've been talking about, you know, a nauseum is just how many pitchers, how many arms these guys are going to have. Yep. As a certain former vice president of baseball or president of baseball operations, you say <laughs> you can never have enough starting pitching. Yeah. I'm upset. I, I couldn't get say hi to him. I wasn't there the day that he dropped by. Yeah. And to go back, uh, Don Mattingly specifically, I asked him about Sixo's timetable on Saturday when Sixo had his last outing and Mattingly's quote verbatim was, we're not going to push somebody to start in the first five days of 162 game season. Right. If Sixto's ready, then we're good with it. But if right. he's not ready or you can't get him built in time, then we'll work it out. Exactly. That's the approach yeah. that they have to take with him, especially since they know they're going to have him on the pit on an innings limit. You're likely going to get maybe you'll likely get about 20 starts. Maybe he could push the 22 to 25, depending on how efficient he is. But you want to save as many of those bullets as you can for later on in the season, knowing that they're going to try to do as much as they can once you get into July, August, and September. Yeah, you want him to have the experience of a full season. I mean, there's a lot of factors. Another thing we always kind of some people don't often people forget when it comes to prospects is saving service time too. And that's little things too. That doesn't apply so much in this case, but you know, you want to you want him to have a full year to build up the, the strength of that arm, even if it's 20 starts. That's a solid full season for him in the major leagues. It's going to help on so many levels. But the biggest thing 
is his health, durability, that sort of thing, because you're looking at another guy, just like Sandy, that is going to be one of these, you hope is going to be one of these mainstays for years to come in this rotation. Yep. And then for one more thing that it seems like almost a lock at this point, on the position player side, we finally started to see how Mattingly is putting his lineup together without the DH since the National mm-hmm. League for more than likely the last time he's going to have pitchers hitting. Uh, Adam Duvall has been has hit cleanup each of his last three times out when regardless of whether it was Jesus Aguilar or Garrett Cooper in there with him, which I found interesting because, I mean, it seemed like Aguilar was going to be in the three spot no matter when he's in there. Mm. My gut was when Garrett Cooper was in was that I thought he would be the cleanup guy throughout and you would have Duvall at three when he's with Cooper and then he'd be four when he's with Aguilar. But to see Donnie going more or less steady with Duvall in the four hole, that's that's a pretty encouraging sign for me, knowing that, again, you're really looking for him mainly for the pop. Yeah, and, and like you said, I was about to say the pop, yeah, with the 16 homers last year was you know one of his better seasons in a while. But also just that I think it's your most experienced guy with pop there is what he's going with. And in, the, in that clutch cleanup spot there too. And he started to show glimpses of it. I mean, we talked to him the other day and he talked about how he's always made, you know, he's, he's always open to, you know, doing little adjustments here and there that are going to make his, his swing more consistent. He saw something in it earlier in the spring that he worked and, and, and corrected there. And it's resulted in better hitting. But this is not just about the home runs, but this is a guy that, again, will be able to, as he's shown in the spring, have a lot of extra base hits for you. He's going to he's going to give you, you know, that, that slugging He's going to be that guy that 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 really drives in a lot. He's going to come in. He's going to be able to maybe, you know, if you got if you got him in there with two on two out, he's going to he might be able to drive those two runs in, you know, get one, you know, Marlins Park, you know, still as big as it is you know, maybe drive those balls into the gap and, and just make things happen, run production. And I think when you get a veteran like him with his savvy, I mean, I think that's valuable enough where I think that's why they're trusting him in that number four spot. It's going to be interesting to see if he can replicate some of the power he had last season consistently. Yeah. Uh, and now we're going to have Adam Duvall explain him from himself, just his progression this spring and what he's trying to do before opening day. And after that, we're going to take a quick break. And then once we come back on the second half of the show, we'll talk about just the questions that still need to be answered over these last seven or so days of camp. So we will be right back. There's a couple uh, couple things that I've changed about my uh, routine, uh, getting ready for the game. And, you know, a couple things that I've been working on and that I wanted to clean up with my swing and the moves that I was making. Uh, you know, based on the video from, from the game feed. So, you know, there's, like I said, I'm always working on something. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I enjoy watching film from, from the game and seeing, uh, what I did well and what I did wrong and, you know, trying to clean up those moves, uh, so that, you know, I can be more crisp. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the goal. Uh, well, it's a couple of different drills that we were doing, um, you know, that we started to do, uh, and, you know, to, to get me in a better position, uh, to, to get off the swing that I want to be able to get off. And, you know, I was putting myself in a bad position from the get go and it was, uh, you know, throughout my swing, it was putting me in a bad position. So 
my bat path wasn't as clean as I wanted it to be. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully the drills that we've been doing are, have cleaned that up and, um, you know, we can continue to progress with that. You know, as far as uh, being a routine guy, I'm, I'm very routine oriented. Um, but saying that, um, you know, if I need to make little adjustments uh, on that routine, I'm not afraid to do that. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm the type of guy that shows up at the ballpark about the same time every day and and does the same thing leading up to, to the game. So, uh, but I will make little adjustments based on, uh, you know, what, what's been happening or how it's going and, uh, you know, just to try to stay on top of things. You know, we talk a lot of baseball while we're here. Um, so... You know, when we're around each other, we're talking about something uh, as far when it, as it comes to baseball. So, you know, yeah, we, we uh, you know, because there's going to be times where people are feeling good, people are feeling bad, you know, and we've got to rely on each other um, and our coaches to uh, to help to help bring us all up together. And that's, you know, that's important, especially in a long season, uh, because, you know, there, there are going to be points where, you know, I feel like I've never picked up a baseball bat before. Uh, and, you know, I, I got to rely on those guys to maybe say, hey, man, like, you know, I've been seeing you lately. You know, it kind of looks like you're doing this or that, you know. And, and um, because, you know, there, there are times in the season where, you know, I can stare at, at film so long that I start to, uh, you know, not, not, you know, lose my train of thought, but uh, it's kind of like, man, I've seen this swing so many times. Now, what's wrong with it? And, you know, it's it's good to have a fresh set of eyes on it. Yeah, I mean, as we get closer, uh, things are going to start ramping up. Things are going to start getting um, more, uh, you know, season-like. Um, we've got to be ready to go from game one, and that's the motto around here that, um, you know, we want to we want to be be ready to go out of the get-go, and, and, you know, I think we're going to be ready. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. No, there's really no timeline. Um, you know, we have until I think it's noon on ne- next Thursday. Um, so there's really no, that's the only deadline that, that we have in our minds. Um, you know, obviously I think there are a couple of these that are going to go down to the wire and that's a great thing. You know, as we sit here as a group, as a staff in, in mulling over the different competitions, um, 
you know, we just realize right now how fortunate we are, knock on wood, um, that, you know, most of these guys are healthy and that, um, you know, we've just got tough decisions to make in a good way. All right, we're back, everyone. So as we said, there are still a few pieces of uncertainty left in the Marlin, in the Mar- with the Marlins right now this spring that need to be made within the next week or so before everything starts up on April 1st. Uh, we'll start with the bullpen specifically. I mean, they brought in so many new faces. Uh, there's still the question of whether they're going to carry eight guys or nine guys. Uh, Marlins general manager Kim Ang said they're still mulling that over. And really, it'd be hard to see them not going with nine for a couple reasons. One is just the uncertainty of how your starting pitchers are going to be early in terms of how many innings they're going to be throwing, and you're not wanting to overtax your bullpen early. And Mm -hmm. secondly, they just brought in so many guys that it's hard to fathom them not using as many of them as possible. I mean, the back end looks like it's going to be Dylan Floro, Jimmy Garcia, and Anthony Bass. You have John Curtis, who you brought in, Adam Simber, who they brought in, Ross Detweiler, who they brought in, Paul Campbell, who's a Rule 5 pick, Zach Pop, who's a Rule 5 pick, Pop, who has really impressed me from the start, I might add. And then you still have uh, James Hoyt and Richard Blyer. That's 10 guys who feasibly could be in there for either eight or nine spots. Yeah, and and I think definitely, I mean, I think especially early in the season, you know, no one really goes – you're not really expecting anyone to throw a complete game anymore in these, these days, period. And then even early in the season, you're not hoping you're not waiting on your guy to throw seven or eight. So the bullpen is going to get a lot of usage early on, I think. And then that that's why I think the ninth guy does make sense. Like you said, as far as who gets that ninth spot. I mean, the fact that you um, had, had mentioned that Hoyt has a minor league option, you kind of, it always already makes you think with a rule five guy there, maybe Paul Campbell jumps in that spot at least to start the season because you do need to have him in there for a certain amount this year. And, you know, as far as the, as the entire group, I mean, you know, I think they are going to get a lot of usage. I mean, there could be injuries too. I mean, pop has looked good. I mean, I think Curtis had a, wasn't Curtis dinged up a bit. Um, I think in the last couple of days, didn't he have something I think happened or, uh, he got hit by a pitch, but he ended up staying in the game. So he I stayed in the was, game. He stayed in the game. So I don't think it was anything major on that. But front. free, but but things could happen. You could, you could have an injury here, there. You know, you never know what happens to the starter. So there's no doubt in my mind they're going to go with nine. And as far as who, I think Paul Campbell, because of the rule five, I think makes more sense for now. You can always bring back Hoyt in a pinch later on. And you know, he's a guy that's reliable. You had him last year. He pitched well in that spot for him. But again, we're going to see how these guys, you know, you know they, are they how many chances are they going to get the closeout games early on too because remember this team isn't expected uh, a lot of expectations are down still as far as wins go but if they are contending this is a group that's going to have to step up because you know the starters we know are the strength but you know how these guys perform is going to translate to whether this team you know can make a dent this year in that brutal division they're in yeah and with Paul Campbell he also gives you that that aspect of length that the Marlins really don't have in that pen right now. I mean, John Curtis can do, can go two innings. Richard Blyer can do four or five outs. Uh, yeah. Adam Simber can do four or five outs. Detweiler probably can, but if yeah, you have that, right. if you have that time where you need a guy to just eat innings after a mm-hmm. shelling, which again, 
Yeah, you could have the shelling could happen. A guy could come up early in the game for some reason, maybe has an issue in the the second inning or something. Makes more sense to have that guy that can be the patch, you know, and get you to the later innings or something like that. And and that's why, again, it just makes too much sense for for Campbell not to get that. Yeah. And then uh, the biggest battle that has been going on throughout the since start camp, second base. Uh, Isan Diaz, Jazz Chisholm, They've both been going back. It's been going back and forth. Personally, I've been teetering back and forth between who I think will get it come opening day. But Jazz has just been putting on the show this last week. And, I mean, he's hitting, I think over his last four games, he's five for ten at the play, including two mammoth home runs. His defense has gotten better. Eason still, to me, has looked better in the field. But as of right now, I'd be remiss to say that if I didn't say this is Jazz's job to lose right now. It's I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I think what this comes down to is what are they what is their what's their what's their thinking here? Are they thinking the long term game, which I know they want him to be the shortstop eventually, or are they thinking the short term game, are they gonna put him out there? Are they gonna are is this a decision that you know they're gonna they have to hold back for now? because they want to continue to develop him as short, but I don't think so. They, I, he's, he's continued to be so impressive. And then if you look at it from a tools perspective, I mean, break it down, you know, defense hit wise, all, all of that. I think he's, he's, he's a notch better, you know, I'm talking about jazz. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> I just think he's a notch better and all of that. So I think at this point, again, it's one of those things where they're going to hold back and they're not going to tell you until like right before opening day, they're going to push it down to the wire to say that because again something could happen this week that alters it radically you never know you got to keep that contingency in mind but on but honestly i think it does you know all those what we've seen and and not even the numbers but just the evaluations i think i think can tell kind of where this is headed and i think it's just a matter of if they're you know what are they thinking in terms of the long-term strategy when it comes to 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 jazz especially yeah, and when you look at how they've been doing some lineups, like especially what the lineup they had out there on Monday, Jazz was at shortstop. John Birdie was at second. That's still right. always an option that they would be able to do if they want to give well, Miguel Rojas a day off every now and then. It I think them- it was even – yeah, sorry. I mean, but I think it was even mentioned today that Birdie could platoon at second. Correct. So if that happens, are they platooning him with Eason, and that, or are they platooning him with Jazz? It's kind of interesting what that where where that lands because then what do you do with Eason if that's the case there that kind of doesn't really I don't know do you send Eason back to AAA and then have him build up a little more there I mean I don't know it's but the fact that they've already put that out there that Birdie's going to be a part of it no matter what that's kind of interesting to to swing it one way or the other yeah and when you look at it with the platooning part of it when you if you had, again, with the example of, let's just say, Miggy having an off day, with Jazz, you can put him in a shortstop. With Eason, you have to put Eason at second, and you have to use Birdie as your shortstop for the game or however many. Just from the defensive standpoint, it'd be better off to have Jazz there for the shortstop side of it when to know you're going to be able to give him, ease him in with some reps at short while being able to get that glimpse of, is he going to be your guy while giving him the bulk of the time at second. Right. And actually Kim Ang actually did talk pretty much in depth on this, specifically on 
what would what would Eson have to prove if he didn't make the roster this year? So I'll let Kim explain their thought process behind what would happen should Eson end up being sent down to AAA to start the season. Yeah, I think you just have to go. Yeah, if if Eson is not the guy, if he doesn't start with us, I think he just has to go to AAA and and you know keep going. You know, he he missed a lot of time last year. Obviously, it's you know a lot of them did, and I think you know just to get back and and get himself ready to be you know whenever he's called upon to come up and and do the job that we think he's capable of. Look, I, I think, you know, there there are many players that have come up to the big league, struggled, gone down to AAA, and, you know, just prepare themselves. Um, you know, that's what we think, you know, either of these guys, if, if they're the ones that have to go down, um, you know, are going to have to do. They're just going to have to get their reps, get their at-bats, um, work on their game planning, uh, and... You know, just be prepared whenever that, that call comes. And on that note, we got to talk with Jazz Chisholm on Monday morning. He talked with us in a group setting for about five minutes before the game just to give us an update on where he feels he's at and just how he's approaching this final week, knowing that for the first time in his time as a, as a professional baseball player, this final week actually matters that into the point where it could determine whether or not he's on the opening day roster or not. So with that, here is Jazz Chisholm. Uh, just want to ask you again, you hit another big home run last night. It seems like your just your approach at the plate these last four or five games out there for you been really working. Just how good does it feel to see everything starting to come together as we get this close to the start of the season? Um, just like I said before, uh, earlier in a couple of interviews earlier uh me and a couple of the hitting coaches was talking and you know like earlier in camp I was working from the ground up and now I feel a little bit more loose and more comfortable at the plate to start letting it loose Christina good morning Jazz um just curious where can do you think you can see still the biggest growth in your game? Uh, definitely, I'll still be able to play. You know, uh, I'm still young, uh, but definitely at the play. You know, you have to make adjustments every day at the plate. Uh, that's always the hardest part of this game is hitting. So it's still going to be the the biggest part of the game to grow in every year. So I would say hitting, but all around, I always work on all my game. Hi, Jazz. I know that you'd like to be in the opening day starting lineup on April the 1st. Do you feel that you have done enough to win the job at this point? Uh, um, yeah, like I said, uh, Earlier, I didn't come into camp thinking about the job as much as just going out there and playing and trying to help my team win. And if that's the decision they make to help our team win, I'd be happy to, to fill the role, you know what I mean? Thank you. Ethan. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, just bouncing off that question, Jazz, week left, what's the one thing you think you have to do to really assert yourself and say, I'm the guy? Um... 
just keep on doing what I'm doing right now, keep on getting better every day, working hard every day, and going out there and helping the team win any way I can, whether it's making defensive plays, base running, or hitting. And Alex. Thanks, Jason. Hey, Jazz. Um, no, you just talked about, you know, whoever they pick. They pick you. Good. Not also good. But just wanted to ask about, uh, you know, obviously it's still a competition with, with Isan Diaz. So uh, just wanted to ask if you guys have kind of pushed each other for this spot, uh, if there's any camaraderie between you guys, and uh, how are you guys uh, getting along as teammates here in this competition? Thanks. Um, me and Isan have known each other since 2015 because we were both with the Diamondbacks in 2015 until he got traded over. But um, we're still pushing each other, you know. We're still talking to each other about each other's swimming and how to get better every day. Like, it's not like we're in a competition and wanting each other to fail. It's, uh, it's more like we were already friends before this, and we're still going to be friends. But it's, it's a job that someone got to win at the same time. But it's not like... Like, if he takes a bad swing and I see something, I'm going to tell him, like, hey, you just dipped a little bit. Uh, just get on top of the ball a little bit more and you're going to be fine. It's not – I'm never going to put my teammate down. and That's my that's like my brother, so, you know, family. Okay, a couple more. Uh, back to Christina. It, Jazz, I, I guess the stakes are a little bit differently maybe in years past for you. Has it felt different this spring training, just knowing that you are considered one of the guys, you know, vying for a spot? Uh, not really. I, I, like I said, I haven't really been thinking about the competition. I've just been going out there trying to get better every day and work my hardest to be the best player that I can be out there. So... That's not really been going through my mind, and I've just been going out there to be myself every day. Hey, Craig? Thanks, Jason. Uh, Jazz, it's not completely unheard of to have no AAA at-bats before you know, coming to the big leagues. You certainly saw some of that last year. Uh, do you feel that you are ready right now to be an everyday player in, in the major leagues? Uh, yes, I do feel like I'm ready to be an everyday player in the big leagues. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. It's not, I can't say a lot, but there's been many guys that haven't had a triple A at bat and played in the mini, in the big leagues. And I mean, like, I feel like why, why can't I be one of them? You know, I feel like I'm ready to play and ready to go whenever they tell me to go. Thanks, Jazz. Okay. And on that note, that's going to conclude this week's episode of Fish Bites. When we come back next week, it'll be our opening day preview. Season's almost here, Dre. Can you believe it? Almost. Getting there. Almost getting there. It's so glad because, you know, it's been such a rough, you know, year and everything. So it's good to kind of get a little more normalcy again. I mean, we're seeing it all around sports. The NFL draft is going to be in person. There's going to be fans at the stadium. Not a lot, but you know, keep your jokes to yourselves on that one. But yeah, I think it's just to have baseball again and in, in, in a little bit more of a, of a normal real setting is going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. And with that limited capacity, it's 25%. The Marlins have said opening day is sold out, but tickets are still available for games throughout the first three months. That's all they've opened up for. 
their hope is that by the end of three months, April, May, June. So at the after June going into July, <laughs> again, having to count here, uh, they're hoping that the situation with the COVID pandemic will be eased up enough that they could hopefully expand it out to more than 25%. So we'll keep you updated on that as everything goes you, along. Don't worry about, don't feel bad about counting months. At least you know what day of the week it is. That is very debatable, Andre. We will have to (laughs) have that conversation another time. But on that note, we're falling off the rails here. So thanks so much for listening, everyone. And we'll be back again next week.